What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. This is Resistance in Residence, where we profile artists using their gifts to change the world. This week's Resistance in Residence artist is composer, pianist, vocalist, interdisciplinary artist, and surrealist, Samora Pinderhughes Samora. Thank you for joining us. Honored to be here. Thanks for having me. Happy to have you back. This is my second time bringing you on the air, but for folks who didn't get a chance to hear that first interview, let's start from the beginning. You grew up here in the Bay. Can you talk a little bit about how the Bay Area formed you as an artist and how it continues also to impact how you think about performance and writing as a professional now? Yes, definitely. Um, I'm always loyal to the soil. You know, I've been living in the East Coast for the last like 15 years or so, but I was uh, raised in the Bay Area and um, credit like who I am 100% to to that community and to that place. I mean, there's so many different levels to it, but I think the one I've been thinking about the most recently is just mentorship. Like having elders that really showed me the way in every way that were patient with me, you know, artistically and musically to spend a lot of time with me just like working on helping me get the tools I needed to be the best possible artist and then also just opening my eyes to what was possible in terms of being an artist that um, could speak to issues through your art you know and try to speak truth through your art having so many great examples of that growing up in the bay and also having people that even when I was very young um, didn't really treat me like a kid like they were just like this is what's going on in the world this is how we're trying to address it and you know, I think that that's a, a very common experience that artists have growing up there. And I think that's part of why we are collectively the way we are, that we try to do things a little bit different. When you when you mention elders and people guiding you, mentors, can you talk about some of the specific people who who led you and, and created a path alongside you? For sure. I mean, there's so many, so I, I worry to, to, to um, leave people out, but... Off the top of my head, you know, um, Geechee Taylor, you know, one of the most important teachers in my whole life. Um, Howard Wiley, Jacqueline Rago. Okay, I got to I gotta stop you because I do know who all these folks are, but I have a feeling that many of our listeners don't. You mentioned Geechee. For folks who aren't familiar, both who is he in the Bay and also what was your experience with him? What were you doing with him? Yes, so um, Geechee is one of the Bay Area's greatest artists of all time, in my opinion, and greatest teachers. Um, uh, his chosen instrument is trumpet, but, you know, he's a creator of, of many things. And he was my first, me and my sister's first, like, core um, jazz teacher, creative improvised teacher. He kind of taught us what it was to improvise and to create together, to create an ensemble. Um, you know, we, we studied with him in a program called the Young Musicians Choral Orchestra, which is still happening in the Bay Area. He actually runs that now. It was run at the time by the amazing Daisy Newman, who's since passed on, but um, he's taken over the program now. So he's still doing the, the great work in the community with so many young artists um, to give them access to the highest level of music education. And then you mentioned Howard. Yes, Howard. I mean, another Bay Area giant, um, saxophone, drums, composition, uh, you know, highest level of thinking and feeling on uh, in the art 
Um, he, he really taught me so much about what it means to be um, an artist in terms of daily practice, somebody who's like really committed to the process of um, being in touch with um, the process, with creation and also with practice. Um, and also just like the kindest, most loving person and somebody that taught me kind of a lot about bringing your soul and bringing your truth into the music. And I'm, I'm pretty familiar with you as a musician. I know you've been doing it forever and since you were a kid out here. I'm wondering also, like, did you ever have any particular other artistic mediums, even as a kid, that you had mentorship in that, that shaped you, even if you're not still, even if that's not still a focus for you? Definitely. Um, I think that's another just great thing about the Bay is like people are always doing everything. Um, I was definitely very much in the mix with Youth Speaks. I was never a poet personally, but I was really, you know, um, mm. close with a lot of amazing poets like Shanaka Hodge, Rafael Casal, Davi Diggs. They were like my big brothers and sisters growing up. Um, and obviously Bamuti as well, you know, who helped to, to found Youth Speaks. Like he, he's been a big presence in my life. Um, so poetry was always very important. And um, I would say, you know, writing was was also a big one. I don't think I really got into film or theater later. That was more of a New York thing. Although I was always experiencing that because my parents would just take me to see everything. So I was always exposed to all different types of art in the house. Speaking of all different types of art, you describe yourself as a surrealist. What does that mean? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it means a lot of different things for different people. Um, but one of the reasons I use that term is, number one, it's um, a concept that I think people really attribute as mostly like a European idea. But uh, it was actually, you know, surrealism was crafted and created actually in the Caribbean as well. Um, and there's an amazing book called Black, Brown and Beige written by the, the amazing author Robin D.G. Kelly. Uh, that really goes in deep into that and really influenced me a lot. And that's when I kind of started to call myself a surrealist because I see myself, hopefully, you know, best case scenario in that lineage of artists that are creating outside of the boundaries of something really super formal and um, controlled, working a lot in the dream space, in the spirit space, and also very, you know, um, uncompromising in their politics and in their truth. Um, and so that's kind of just the lineage that I try to be a part of. I, I want to get back to some of your formative stuff, but I'm wondering, because you got me thinking about it, what's the relationship in your mind for you between surrealism and uh, Afrofuturism? Another amazing question. I have to say, you know, I haven't studied Afrofuturism as much, so I wouldn't want to like put my foot in my mouth and say things that are not true about it. Um but I would say that, I mean, as far as how I understand both traditions, I think they're both very interested in the ties between the future and the past. Um, mm. They're interested in a radical imagination, which I think has always been very important for, um, obviously, the Black radical tradition, but also just all oppressed groups. Um, and... I think they're also very interested in what is the potential of cultural production or cultural work, uh, meaning how are, what are all the different ways we can use this? How can we push it to its absolute imaginative capacity and not just say, oh, this is 
this is the only thing that music can do or that any type of art can do. Um, so I think in those ways, they're very connected. I'm sure there's a million other connections, but that's what comes <laughs> to mind for me, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You you mentioned the Black radical tradition, and the last time we talked, you told me about growing up uh, in your household exposed, especially from your parents, also from community, to all kind of anti-imperialist and 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 just all kinds of critical thinking. Um, I'm I'm wondering how you carry that with you moving to New York, going to Juilliard, um, and being in the New York uh, music scene. How how politics impacts the context and and that new world that you experience. You know, you I, I started there with with what you mentioned of the Black radical tradition. How do we how do you carry that with you into New York? You know, at the beginning, it really was very separate, I think. I mean, when I was in mm -hmm. school, in undergrad, I was there as a piano performance major. I was not there writing music, you know, originally, or that's not what I went to school for. And so I was really focused on how can I be the best pianist possible? And I was really lucky that I had some really amazing teachers there, you know, Frank Kimbrough, Kendall Briggs, Kenny Barron, that like just really taught me so much of the tools that I still use today, both in regards to the instrument and also into composition. Um, but that that per, that process was very focused on just trying to like be as good as, as possible as I could be at the piano and at music. And I don't think it was until like maybe midway through my undergraduate experience that I started to engage with how to use music for the, to engage politically and a lot of that was, number one, just because of what was happening in the rest of the country. Um, you know, there was a lot of different things that went down while I was there from, you know, the Troy Davis case um, where he was murdered by the state to, you know, Trayvon, all these different things. And so I think like a lot of other people in my generation, I was just always being um, spurred on and charged by what was happening, you know, in, in, the, in the nation and re trying my best to respond to those things. I, was, I wouldn't say I was tapped into what was happening in New York in those ways. It was pretty much of a, just like a very in, insular experience. Um, and I think it, did, it didn't come till later, you know, multiple years later that I started to really find the, uh, some answers to the question of like, how can I engage with this place, um, both politically and also just community-wise, you know, um, try, try to be a part of it in a different way. Well, and then how does that lead us to your last album, Grief, right? I mean, you have this musical, musically focused experience. You have this pretty politicized childhood life and young adult life. And then we kind of return to some degree to the Black radical tradition how do you how do you fit grief into that? For sure. Um, so basically, the occasion for that that record was this larger project called the Healing Project, which has basically been my life's work over the last ten years, and that was the project where I really decided um, to to see what was possible with a, a long term engagement process of trying to tackle certain questions through through my art. I had done a, an album before that, which is a collaborative album called The Transformation Suite that I did start with other um, 
colleagues at um, at Juilliard with some some collaborators, Christoph Avio, mm. um, Jeremy Harris, and a bunch of amazing musicians. Um, and so that was a political album, which you know I was trying to address things on that record, but it was I would say like I was still kind of working out what I wanted to say, and also you know it was a project with that community which I really. Um, held sacred. So I think the healing project is another community project. It started as um, a process where I went to 15 different states around the country and had long form conversations with um, many, many, many people about basically trying to heal from structural violence. And so some of those folks were formerly currently incarcerated. Some of those folks dealt with the detention system. Some of them dealt with the court system, and some were just young people that were dealing with violence in the neighborhood, which obviously, as you know, that is structural violence. And so I was really interested in trying to talk to folks about how do we really understand on the day-to-day -day, like what the impact is of what we go through, and how can we best communicate that to a lot of people that don't necessarily understand the impacts of those things. And that's where the album grew out of, was really through that project. And so all the music on the record is basically like an outgrowth of these conversations that I had. And some 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 of those songs are like super literal one-to-one -one connections. Like, you know, the song Holding Cell on the record is literally inspired by two conversations I had with specific friends of mine who were involved in the Healing Project that was based on the letters we wrote back and forth to each other. Um, so some are very specific like that and others are more just generally on on the topics that came up in the project. Got it. I was going to ask you a little bit more about the healing project because I had the incredible privilege of experiencing the installation you did of it at the Yerba Buena Center for the Arts about a year and a half ago. I'm wondering if there's any next steps for that. I know it's it's no longer here as an exhibit in the Bay Area, but where is the healing project at and where? how can people access what you did with that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah, we had an amazing run um, in 2022, you know, for six months doing a lot of um, community presentations at YBCA with the work. Um, and we are continuing all of that work and actually just planning to expand it further and further. Um, what we're in the process of right now is actually um, we're trying to transform the healing project from just a project to an organization, to an artistic organization. Mm. And so we will continue showing the artwork and making artwork with this community of folks around the country. But in addition to that, we wanna be able to do even even more than that and just have impact in all the ways we can. You know, We started something called the Healing Project Workshop where we're able to work on transformative projects through the lens of art. Last year, we focused on uh, the case of uh, a Healing Project interviewee named Keith Lamar, who's on death row in Ohio. He was framed for the largest prison riot in Ohio history, and we're working to exonerate him. Um, so we're, you know, we're working on a bunch of big projects like that. So I say that to say, for those reasons, we don't currently have a place where people can see all of the art in the way that we had it. Obviously, an, an exhibition at YBCA, but we are planning to put up more exhibitions all throughout the country. And in addition, people can experience some of what we um, have made through the project obviously through the Grief album, but also through the films, which are public ex publicly accessible. Um, most of them are under my name on like, you know, YouTube. You, there's a piece called Masculinity, another one called Process, 
hold that weight. There's a series of different film pieces that people can experience. Um, so those are what are public, publicly accessible right now, but people should definitely stay in touch because we are working on a bunch of different things moving forward from public gatherings to impact campaigns to um, exhibitions. We're actually going to be also releasing a new piece in February with Keith Lamar. Mm. And so people should be looking at that. I think we're going to drop it on February 20th. So it'll be shortly after we're in San Francisco. Yeah, well, we'll have to make sure we're on the press list for that. Um, we, we would love to be aware. Um, Definitely. So you told us about how uh, the Healing Project led you to the album Grief. I want to ask you a little bit about the concept of grief. You've done a lot of thinking about it. And of course, we're living in a time where we're watching just an unreasonable and overwhelming amount of death on all of our little screens that that's where we're watching it it's you know being imposed on the people of gaza by israel i'm wondering from a space of grief how are you holding on to that and what are you doing to take care of yourself with it in terms of whether that's playing music writing music taking a break etc for sure I mean, obviously, first and foremost, the way that I'm trying to deal with it is to be as involved as possible in all the efforts to bring an immediate ceasefire, to bring an end to the siege, and to um, bring an end to the devast all of the devastation that is going on um, in Gaza and uh, to end the occupation, you know? So um, that's the primary uh, thing right now is just to try to be um, as useful as possible in community with folks that are organizing around that. Obviously, most of what I'm doing with that is just in, in New York. I mean, th that's really the way that I'm trying to deal with it is just to be involved in stopping more death. You know, I mean, I, and I've been involved in these struggles as an anti-war activist, first and foremost, since I was a kid, you know, from times of the Rock War. So this has definitely been something that I feel like I've been pretty consistent on and, um, you know, so, so so what I see, you know, my role as being in, in this moment in time is just to be a part of the community efforts to stop this from continuing to happen. Um, and then obviously, I mean, you do bring, bring a really important part point up, which is just there is definitely like a, a psychological effect and a strange, you know, um, it's just very strange to be experiencing this every day through our phones and be able to activate in certain ways, but also unable to stop it in, in the magnitude. I do believe that if we continue our efforts, we will, you know, be successful in, in ending, ending what's happening. But obviously, you know, on the day to day, it's, it's pretty devastating. And so um, just doing what I can. So let, let's move on to uh, what's coming up in the immediate next for you as a musician. You're about to get on the road you're gonna hit san francisco i'm for people who aren't as familiar with your music can you kind of describe your show a little bit describe what people can expect yeah i think um the san francisco show is going to be really special for a bunch of different reasons um you know it's first hometown show i've done since the ybca exhibition in 2022 and I'm bringing a lot of amazing um, artists with me from New York, actually, that are like part of my touring um, ensemble. And they're just incredible artists in their own right. In addition to that, 
we are going to have two amazing special guests um, opening acts, which are two of my favorite artists from the Bay and, and close friends, uh, Mara Ruby and Kariga Bailey from Soul Development, Bay Area legends in their own right. So I'm really excited to be in collaboration with them to bring my band out there. And, um, you know, the hometown show is always special and you never know, you know, how often you get to do it. So I just hope that everybody will come through and we can, you know, all show love to each other. And, um, you know, we're, we're bringing a bunch of stuff from the album, from Grief, but also some new pieces that haven't been heard in that neck of the woods yet for me. That's exciting. I'm, I'm looking forward to checking it out. What comes next for you, Samora? I, I saw somewhere, I don't know if this is still true, but at some point you were in a PhD program working under the direction of Vijay Iyer. Is, is that still the case? And and what's on what's on the next part of the radar? You talked about a little bit about the healing project. Um, I'm wondering what else is coming up. Yeah, um, I am still finishing my dissertation. I'm doing a dissertation on abolition, um, abolition and sound, and so I'm excited about that. Abolition and, and sound. Wait, okay, I need to hear what that means. What do you mean by abolition I, and sound? I can't talk about it yet because I got to publish okay. it first. Okay. Okay. <laughs> But I got to work out my ideas before I put it on wax. But um, you'll find out soon for sure. Um, and uh, but I am very excited about that research and um, about being able to share it hopefully sooner than later. But yeah, in, in terms of also what's happening this year, like I said, I'm really excited about this new piece that we're dropping um, in February with Keith Lamar, which will be called um, Sweet which is based on an amazing interview that I did with him. Um, also features the amazing uh, guitarist, composer, Rafiq Bhatia. And I'll also be dropping the soundtrack um, from a film, amazing documentary that I scored called Going to Mars, which is a documentary um, of Nikki Giovanni. Hmm. And that, that film actually just came out in January. So people can watch that. And I was lucky enough to do the music for that with my friend Chris Padishaw. Um, so we'll be putting all of that out in the next couple months with a lot of new music to follow in, in the rest of the year. Definitely dropping a lot of new music this year. Like I said, working on a lot of new material with the Healing Project, um, exhibitions, performances, as well as, you know, getting the larger public to understand a bit more about what we endeavor to do as a larger organization and how we want to serve the community through that. And uh, let me see, what what else am I leaving out? Um, probably a bunch of things. Making some new films, always, you know, trying to be in the mix with that. Hopefully collaborations um, with some great artists. So, you know, the usual. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to have to end it there some more. How can people find your music and follow your work? Yes, um, the best ways to follow the work is um, to sign up for the mailing list, either via um, SamoraPenderHughes.com or HealingProjectSound.org, which is um, the the Healing Projects website. You can also follow me at, at SamoraPenderHughes to keep updates on where our shows are at and what's happening. And you can find the music, you know, wherever you get music. Always best to buy it if you can support the, the work and the artists. And um, yeah, hope I'll see you at the show on February 4th. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, Samora. A pleasure. Thanks so much for having me and appreciate all the work you do.
Our pleasure. And that's the voice of this week's Resistance in Residence artist, composer, pianist, vocalist, interdisciplinary artist, and surrealist, Samora Pinderhughes. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox 5. Our Resistance and Residence theme music was composed by Jesse Strauss. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listeners. If you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam. <laughs>